sermon reading this morning comes from the novelist and nonfiction writer Jess Walter. This is an essay, part of an essay, from a book called Writers in the Spiritual Adventure of Parenting at Work in Life's Garden. Brooklyn's mom and I were quickly married and genially divorced and afterward, we raised Brooklyn in an experiment marked by good intentions and modest communication. Even in the best divorce, every detail of parenting must be negotiated. Bedtime is the Middle East peace accords, curfew the Geneva conventions. It was in this spirit that we set out to map our daughter's religious upbringing. Brooklyn's mother was a Catholic who wanted Brooklyn to attend parochial school and be confirmed in the Catholic religion. I agreed, in part because I didn't have an alternative, there being so few Jainist elementary schools in America. But as parents, we also want our kids to have access to everything, those things we had and those that we didn't. So I wanted Brooklyn to be a star athlete, to go to an Ivy League college, and to have faith in something. The last thing I wanted was for her to be saddled with her father's bad eyesight, his procrastination, or his aching doubt that the world has meaning. The last thing I wanted was for her to lie in bed having nightmares about hell. So my parenting plan was simple. Downplay my agnosticism at least for a while. Let Brooklyn's mother handle the spiritual side of child-rearing. Of course, a parent can't withhold his belief system any more than he can withhold his hair color. And the trouble begins as soon as the little buggers start to talk. I can still see Brooklyn in the rearview mirror, <clears throat> straining in her car seat to see something, and then turning forward to ask me, Daddy, why are trees green? This is the crux of the problem. How does the well-meaning agnostic remain truthful to his own beliefs while still passing on to his children some sense of spiritual stability, some warm blanket of faith, some way to measure the mystical and the lovely? Well, honey, there's this thing called photosynthesis in which uh, sunlight activates uh, chlorophyll and um, carbon dioxide. No, daddy, says Brooklyn. Who made them green? It turns out that I do not, that I do have a kind of faith. I have faith in the power of a good story. I have faith in the grace of a hopeful lie. Well, honey, I suppose God did. God made the trees green. And thus ends our reading.
In the beauty of the blue-green hills of earth and in the white-crested rolling oceans, it is easy to see God's handwriting. In the oxygen we breathe and in the beauty of the clouds and stars and moon, it is easy to sense the shadow of God. Chilean poet Gabriela Mistral said that beauty is the shadow of God on the universe. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, never lose an opportunity of seeing anything that is beautiful, for beauty is God's handwriting, a wayside sacrament. Welcome it in every fair face, in every fair sky, in every fair flower, and thank God for it as a cup of blessing. Both Emerson and Mistral allude to the sense that God had a hand in the splendor and magnificence of this creation, of this universe of ours. There is the sense that the natural world reflects the hand of God, that perhaps nature is the closest approximation of God that we can know or see, or even that nature is God. What I find most salient for our reflection this morning is a reverence for nature, for nature's beauty. The relationship we humans have to the natural world falls into the realm of religion and ethics. As Stephen Hawking said, the odds against a universe like ours coming out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. In other words, the very existence of the universe has religious implications. Now you use have a deep love for nature. Nature lovers, yes. Many of us, most of us perhaps. An appreciation for the natural world is one of our religious sources. That's how important it is to us. Earth-centered spirituality is one of the six primary sources of Unitarian Universalism. According to Reverend Kathleen Rollins, Earth-centered spirituality is rooted in ritual and devotional experience. Earth-centered practices remind us of how intimately connected we are to the cycles and the seasons and the rhythms of nature. For many Unitarian Universalists, that intimate connection and reverence for nature nurtures our spiritual journeys, and nature affords us experiences of the divine. Just what Mike was talking about. It does that for me as well. One of the ways that I most reliably experience the sacred is through the natural world. It isn't the only way, but it is for me a reliable way. This has been true for me since I was a child. Since I was a child wandering under the stars or running around in the grass and bare feet in the summer or planting zinnias 
in our garden. And one of the earliest guides to my exploration is a book that I still have and I still pull out from time to time and look at. It's a book called Wonders of Nature, a child's first book about our wonderful world. Some of you may have grown up with this gem of a book as well. And the book begins, Isn't it a wonder the way the woods know that spring is coming before the snow is gone? The sleeping plants send up green shoots and the tree buds swell and burst. Isn't it a wonder that some seeds have wings and some have tiny silken parachutes and some seeds are hidden away in fruits and that every seed, no matter how tiny, has a whole tiny plant inside with food to use when it starts to grow. Isn't it a wonder? To this day, the wonder book continues to invite my child's mind into wonder at God's handwriting and how incredible and mysterious are nature's workings. At this time of year, when there are more hours of light and temperatures that call me out of doors, I find myself absorbed by the greening of the landscape, by the shrub roses abloom in my yard, by the robins and the squirrels. On walks, the rush and glistening of the Tulpahawken Creek the egrets at water's edge, these all inspire wonder and awe in me. I also had an experience several years ago when I first visited Maine, and I discovered in Maine what I considered to be a, a combination of sea and skyscape that is unrivaled anywhere I've been. One of the things that I discovered, maybe it was because I was on vacation and I just sat staring at sky and sea for hours. But one of the things I discovered was that the configuration and the coloration changed subtly and often dramatically, not only from day to day, but within the span of a day and even more interestingly, within the span of minutes and moments. I remember my second visit to Maine and attending an art exhibit, and the art exhibit was all skies that had been created by artists. And they were abstract pieces and they were watercolors and oil paintings, night skies, day skies, there was a quality to each of those pieces that made it clearly Maine. I knew those were Maine skies. How can that be? It seemed to me the hand of the artist creator had created that splendor of the landscape that then inspired the artist the human artist to create their art. 
The English physician and author Sir Thomas Brown said, nature is the art of God. So if someone were to ask me who made the trees green, as Jess Walter's daughter asked him, I might explain the science. If I, like him, were asked who made the trees, I might talk about photosynthesis and chlorophyll and carbon dioxide. If someone were to ask what makes the sky blue or the clouds into their stunning configurations, I might offer them a scientific explanation. I surely think I would. Surely the science is wondrous and mysterious. And yet, like Jess Walter, talking to his daughter, I might also find myself swept up in the mystical and lovely story of this air we breathe and these plants and trees that give off oxygen that we might live and the sky and ocean that give us sustenance and beauty. Jess Walter, though an ag agnostic, recognized that his daughter was asking a theological question about the origins of existence, about creation itself, about how we got here, what gave birth to it all. And Jess, who describes himself in a, as an agnostic and as someone who says he has an aching doubt the world has meaning, nevertheless declared that God made the trees green. Whether we are agnostic or theist, humanist or mystic, creation can and does speak to us of the sacred. The psalmist writes, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Or as architect and Unitarian Frank Lloyd Wright poignantly and simply declared, I believe in God, only I spell it nature. Some of us might spell it nature, or maybe Gaia, maybe creation, Big Bang, evolution, creativity, blue boat, home, creator. Who made the trees green? Whatever our particular understanding of how this universe came to be, this idea that beauty is God's handwriting suggests that there is something other something incomprehensible, yet palpable, something that evokes a humbling and uplifting response in us, a religious response. This something other is beyond our full reach, something greater than we are, something that sparks our curiosity, something that moves us profoundly, some mystery, something beyond our knowing and beyond our control. 
I remember when I first heard my ministry internship supervisor refer to himself as an agnostic mystic. I thought that was an unlikely theological combination. Agnostics emphasized not knowing. Mystics emphasized the experience of God. Yet I find myself more and more mystical and more and more agnostic. I find myself more and more concurring with my internship supervisor and living in a liminal space of not knowing yet experiencing the holy. How can that be? Both questioning the existence of God and having an experience of the holy. This theological position sounds to me like what Charles Darwin said. He said, I cannot think that the world as we see it is the result of chance, and yet I cannot look at each separate thing as the result of design. I am and shall ever remain in a hopeless muddle. Agnostic mysticism seems to me to be a much more elegant way of saying hopeless muddle. It is a more elegant way of speaking of the mystery of what we do not know, cannot know, and at the same time acknowledging the astounding experience of wonder and awe, that sense of the shadow of God encountered in the beauty of the universe. Walt Whitman, do you know Walt Whitman turned 200 in May? Walt Whitman wrote, too, of not understanding God, yet encountering the holy in all of existence. Whitman says, I say to humankind, be not curious about God, for I, who am curious about each, am not curious about God. I hear and behold God in every object, yet understand God not in the least. So why are trees green, who made the sky blue? When we answer these questions, let us bring a childlike curiosity. Let us open to stories that can bring us nurture and hope. Let us listen to the earth, feel her beating pulse. May we listen in wonder, casting questions into the deep, May we bring a rational mind and a mystic's heart. Here with our companions, here together, may we learn to be wise and grateful travelers of the wide universe. May we learn to be captivated by the beauty of God's handwriting. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like a copy of the transcript of this sermon, you can find most week's messages at www.uuburks.org sermons. If you have any thoughts or conversation about today's message, we hope you'll take a moment to stop by our Facebook page.
page and share them. And from all of us at First UU Berks, may this chalice light your path and guide your way until you join us again. Thank you.